Welcome back to another episode of Playwright to Playwright. This is one of my favorite things I get to do. Sit in a cafe and just talk shop with another playwright. And this time, it's Tyler Ambercrombie, the author of the play Relentless, which kind of took Chicago by storm in 2021. First at Timeline Theater and then moving over to the Goodman Theater. And I'm such a sucker for um, multi-generational family comedies with some meat on the bone. So, Tyler, thank you, first of all, for talking to me, and then second of all, for Relentless. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 16th year, number 824, Tyler Abercrombie's Relentless. Tyler Abercrombie is an actor, director, and playwright who's acted around the United States and on television and whose plays include Naked and Raw, Affair of Ambiguity, and Who's Afraid of Deepak Chopra. Her play, Relentless, tells the story of two sisters who in 1919 returned to Philadelphia to settle the estate of their mother and make family discoveries that change their knowledge of the past and will possibly determine their new future. Tyla met me to chat at the Front Bar Cafe at Steppenwolf Theater, and she started our conversation by correcting the record. And honestly, when will I learn to not improvise my opening welcome when I can just as easily record it accurately later? Let me say one thing that's a correction. We started rehearsal in 21, but we ran the show, ran all through 22. So we opened in January at uh, Theater Wit, Timeline Production, and then went to the Goodman up until May, mid-May. Already screwing up. That is the Reduce Shakespeare Company podcast motto. My first question was going to be, how you're an actor as well. How does that inform your writing? Because the, the, the characters are so much fun. Getting to do, and where the actors seem to be getting to play many different colors, and I bet they are usually asked to play in other plays that they get cast in. Well, I think acting informs my work really well because a, a few things. As an actor, I know what the kind of roles that I haven't had the opportunity to play with the depth that I want a role to have. And I know what it feels like to not have a well-written black character mm-hmm. on stage, right? Yeah. Uh, and I know what it feels like to want to do a piece that is set at this time, 1919, Black Victorians, and yet you can't get that unless you're doing some Shakespeare or you're the... You know, you're the housekeeper, you're the maid, you're, yeah. the, you're that kind of person in a, in a Victorian era piece in, yeah. in any of our large theaters. Or the other side of it is you cast me, but you're just borrowing my black skin because the character has no sensibilities from being an American, black, African-American, or, yeah. you know, whatever a, a person chooses to use. But yeah. so for me as an actor, that was very informative of what I wanted to create, mm-hmm. what I needed it to say, and how... how um, important I needed the work to be. The other side of it is I wrote from, because I I never wanted to play the role, but I wanted to, I thought I used myself and Karen Aldridge as models, as if we were playing the roles, what would we want? Like, you would have to really give us something deep and heavy and we like to work on stage. We like to bleed out on stage, leave the audience just like, oh my God, that shit was amazing. I'm sorry, can I swear? I leave in shits and bleep out (laughs) 
<laughs> wonderful. So, so I thought of that when I was creating it. So being an actor was really informative, yeah. When you said you, you want to bleed out and deep and serious, and yet relentless, what charmed me and everybody so much, I thought, especially in Act One, is that you're watching it and it feels like, oh, this is not a heavy play. This is a rom-com. And you're so rooting for the two young people at the center of the story. There's sibling stuff going on as well, and there's a, clearly other stuff going on in the world, but at, at its heart, there's an element of it that the rom-com, and that's so appealing because we like these stories. It, 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 you suckered us in. Yeah. And yeah. Was that conscious? It is conscious. One of the things I've had to say to people who did have questions or in so, and sometimes criticisms, but most of the time it's just wanting to have a dialogue about the play. Uh, I sat down to write this play as what I would call my classic. So, uh, you know, I don't have a large canon right now, but eventually I'll have an August Wilson canon and a, you know, a Shakespeare canon and everything else. And people will be like, these are, you know, title mm -hmm. African plays. Or I should say people like Lydia Diamond or, you know, mm -hmm. any Lynn Nottage. And so uh, I wrote this to be my, my uh, classic piece, and it was designed to make you sit and get to know these characters. Mm -hmm. So before you get to know anything else, you must fall in love, like or dislike, the two main characters. Mm -hmm. And then once the door opens in my play, literally, yeah. it never stops flooding through. Yeah. Everything keeps coming at them, but I wanted to set it up as this dynamic of, yes, People think of romantic comedy because they're talking, what they're talking about, and how they're sisters, and it's a night, they want to go out, and they're having a good time. And so you're, you're, you're really seduced into relaxing and enjoying the humor and the beauty of these people, and it gets the audience used to the language. Yeah. So it does allow them to, in a way that they haven't been used to, um, seeing or maybe accepting that uh, American black, African American actors speak, you know, unless they're doing, you know, again, like Shakespeare, Ibsen or something of that nature, Moliere with rhyme and couplets and things. So it allows you to just get used to those things. You get used to the characters, you get used to the space, mm -hmm. and you get used to the language. And after that, it's the door opens and nothing ever stops coming through it. But you're already rooting for these people and to, to combat whatever comes at them. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, and you said you, 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 this is maybe the, your, the, the classic, maybe the beginning of your canon or early in the, in the canon, which is great because the play speaks to the past, mm -hmm. speaks to the past and to the future. I mean, the play itself has a world not just outside its doors, but beyond the time Absolutely. of your play, which I, uh, again, I'm such a huge sucker for all of that. Was this from a personal family experience? Was it research? How did, uh, what came first? The idea, the research, the characters? This play has nothing to do with my family whatsoever, but as a young girl, my favorite, and still to this day, my favorite um, time in literature is the Harlem Renaissance. And when I was growing up and in, in grammar school, we learned a great deal about the Harlem Renaissance, uh, and, and those were the writers we would uh, read, like Langston Hughes and Claude McKay and Jordan Hurston, and, and I, I loved that period. But that period also made me feel like, where did these people come from? Like, they, I, I, I didn't have a history of them, because as a child and in school, you're learning about 
you know, slavery and civil rights. And, of course, now I imagine the young people are learning about Obama and George Floyd, so that'll be the forward. But when I was in school, it was very few things that you learned about. And I was really curious, like, where did all these jazz musicians and poets and all this? And so that made me read back. That made me go back. Right, in time, mm-hmm. and I stumbled onto the, all of these black Victorians and all of these inventors and, and, and um, composers and uh, writers mm-hmm. and you know people who are extraordinary, educators, yeah. doctors, lawyers that I had no sense of. And, and without wanting to explore that, you don't know that, right? You don't, you, or, or having parents that show you. But if you're trying to learn it in school, in our educational system, and I, I would venture to say beyond CPS, but just the educational system, mm-hmm. you don't learn that history. So it started there. That's where the seed was. I wanted, I found these people. I was so floored by, by them. And then becoming an actor, I thought, I can't wait to play one of these characters in one of these beautiful, elaborate costumes yeah. and just, I wanted to flow across the stage in one of these dresses with a bustle, you know what I mean? Like, I was, it was going to be so cool, because no matter what, I'm a fashionista, so mm. when clothes are pretty, I want to be a part of that clothing experience, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And uh, and then I found that once I became an actor, that that was, I didn't have access to that. Like, yeah. like I wasn't allowed to audition for that, I wasn't seen for that, or I wasn't seen seriously for it. And so that began the desire to, like, I'm going to write a play about these people, these black Victorians. So what happened along the way to Relentless, to writing it, to literally sitting down and pinning it, was I came across people who said things that I found extraordinary. Like, not only did, did people not even imagine that we, as black folk, participated in... The, the the wealth of this country, yeah. but it was exi- it, it was as if everyone had learned that we only started in slavery and that was it. And things like I'll give you an example. I was working in Florida at a theater there, Oslo Repertory Theater, and I was being draped by one of the drapers, nice young lady. And I looked at the renderings on the wall. They were up by Virgil Johnson, an extraordinary um, costumer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked at the renderings for the show. It was repertory, so the show coming after the one I was in. And I said, oh, my God, I always dreamed of wearing these types of costumes. You know, it was Victorian piece. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, but you weren't around then. Can you believe that? And oh I'm looking God. at this, this girl, and I'm like, okay, you just immediately pissed me off yeah. uh, because you don't you don't know that but yeah. then I but you I, can't even guess that I mean you you can't guess it and you so she said it so innocently that it wasn't meant to be cruel it was meant to be what she thought of her knowledge yeah right, right? like right. her knowledge said oh you weren't around then and then she she, she thought about it and she said oh wait I remember the uh, series Deadwood and there was the black doctor and his wife what the what the hell you know what I'm saying mm-hmm those kinds of things that people would say to me were like, I, you know, that pissed me off on a whole nother level. Uh, and so I was like... There's I, being inspired, and then there's being motivated. Right. Yes. And the, the, I think the final kind of moment that propelled me to it was when I was offered to join the Writers Collective, and I, they asked, what do you want to write about? And I said, well, I've been really thinking about writing about uh, these you know, Victorians and, and whatnot. And and that was where, I won't say, that wasn't the first thing written, but that was where the active, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to create a play. Sure. So what we actually see in the in the play, when you, if, if you get to see it or if you've seen it, 
is there's a journal entry. And the very first journal entry was literally the very first piece of material written oh, because cool. I started it off as a novel, which uh, if you, you experience it, you can yeah. kind of see, like, I can see that this could be a novel, yeah. it could be a film and all of that. And, and that was written because I, I had done this tremendous amount of research. So this is going on to what you asked me. Yeah. I had already done this tremendous amount of research yeah. preparing in my mind that I'm going to write this novel one day. And, and then left it there. Like, they forgot all about it. Wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah. But once I got in the collective and I, the sisters, the first scene you see, mm -hmm. we had to bring in a 10-page scene. That was our first assignment. And cool. I brought in the first 10 pages of the, of the first act. Uh -huh. and, and then when I sat back down to, to work it, it stopped. Meaning, as a writer, you're a writer, you know. They mm -hmm. stopped talking, and you're just kind of like, okay, now what? And, uh, and and it got to that point where she got to a journal, and I said, Boom. that 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 thing I wrote, that one monologue that I wrote, I never used. Mm -hmm. I, I'm digging through all of this shit, and I uh -huh. found, and I was like, and I same way, I never edited or anything, put it right in the middle of the story, and it just spoke its own life from that point forward. Isn't that amazing? I love how disparate <laughs> ideas yeah. come together, and as if they were, uh, you, you intended it that way. Well, and I, I believe that, you know, the universe is divine, and that um, we often have no clue the lessons we're learning when we're learning. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mark Larson, the author of Ensemble in Oral History of Chicago Theater, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSE the RSE? The Reduced Shakespeare Company returns to touring this week, performing Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel in Rolla, Missouri, this Wednesday, September 21st, Bloomington, Illinois, this Friday on September 23rd, and Jasper, Indiana, this Sunday on September 25th, 2022. We'll also be performing it at the Wharton Center in East Lansing, Michigan on November 9th and 10th. Check out the touring page at our website, reducedshakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with Tyler Abercrombie, who revealed to me more about the origins of Relentless and what its possible future might be. What it was also created to be was a hundred-year examination of, of um, where we were at the time when I started this journey. Yeah. It, 2016 is when I went into this Writers Collective. Okay. The play was actually finished in 2018, so I wrote the play to be examined in 2019 because yeah. rather, rather it was produced by Timeline or not, yeah. I feel strongly about anything I create, and yeah. so I was like, it's going to be produced, I don't sure. care who does it, and I wanted to do a 100-year examination. Where have we gone? What have we achieved, and yeah. what's different? Yeah. And yet we were, at that time, we were dealing with the legalization of marijuana, which was a mirror image to um, prohibition. Yep. We were dealing with the Me Too movement and mm -hmm. Time's Up movement, which is sort of a mirror image to the suffragette movement and women mm -hmm. trying to you know, get their rights. Yeah. We, were, we had men coming back from the war in 1918 saying I'm not black men coming back and saying I'm not we're no go, no going back to the same behavior and so then you had that unrest in Missouri where people were going the, enough is enough and of course you had red summer which mirrored the Missouri thing so it was so many things that were mirror images of what we were still going on what was still going on in our lives yeah and that's what made me feel like I need to I want to examine that right I want to examine that in my own story a hundred years and yet we're still in, as I say in the play, a fist fight for a good life. Yeah. And um, 
and and so that's and what it does to the audience, which is I think is beautiful, is you you know about the hundred years in the past because we can all read about that and we've we've experienced it, we know about it. And now we're living a hundred years. We're living in the 2019. What came out in 2022? Yeah. I couldn't have asked for the pandemic, and I tell you, I don't want the pandemic. No. But it definitely blessed my play <laughs> by showing up because it gave it one more element that I was like, because yeah, influenza, the, the influenza, virus. which yeah. they called the Spanish flu, which was a right. which was a derogatory term yeah. coming from from where it came from. Yeah. And so we had even in our political scheme that happening, right? We had the. Uh, COVID and, and, and it was being called the Chinese virus. You know, it yeah. was just that all of these negatives yeah. that were still existing. And um, so I thought, well, okay, so we already know what was and we're living what is. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't help but look at and wonder what yeah. is going to come. Yeah. And so I, by set, setting the play in the present, I kind of opened the door to people wanting to know the future. And yet, catching their heart at the end yeah, which I, yeah. without giving the end away yeah. because you almost can feel the future happening we, we just you, the yeah. play doesn't tell you know that the unrest was happening yeah. we were living it you know what I'm saying we are living we it. are living yeah. it we were living the pandemic yeah. so I think that was really that was really a wild journey for people to be looking at this 1919 piece and already know even though my play doesn't say what we're going to do that we're doomed to repeat right. we're living the repeat and none of that was conscious when you started. These echoes came in as you began to realize what you were, what you had. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They, and that's why I said um, the beginning of it was born from youth and experience and all of that. Right. And then suddenly it was able to speak on its own because I was living the moment. Yeah. Well, and this is how Shakespeare did it. A little guy named Shakespeare did it, too. He wrote about the present day through stories from hundreds of years in the past. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, 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 it made it easy in the sense that the very question I initially told, asked myself, which is, what have we achieved 100 years later, mm-hmm. began to, I didn't have to look for the answers. I was living the answers. I could see the answers in and what was going on. Now, granted, I had, we hadn't hit the pandemic. My play was finished in 2018. Right. 2019, I knew that we were going to put it up in 2020. Yeah. It was going to be part of the season. Yeah. When I returned from, I had done Sweat in Boston. Mm-hmm. When I returned in March 2020, I, we were set to go into rehearsal mm-hmm. on the 30th. Yeah. And the world shut down around the 15th or the 17th. Yep. So it was, everything about it was kind of like ready to go. I could never have predicted the uh, George Floyd murder or the um, COVID pandemic yeah. that we've been do- dealing with. I just I just went off of, well, I, because I talk about influenza in the play, mm-hmm. and you can't not talk about it. If you research 1919, you can't. It's, yeah. It was very alive yeah. then. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it, I, always, I always tell people, I feel like the ancestors were just like, baby, we about to anoint you, and you're going you gonna to do something really brilliant classic and um, that will live forever beyond you. Well, and that seems part of the lesson, too, is that you sit out, you sit down to write something, you put it out there, and then things begin to happen that inform the thing that you've created. The thing has a life. Even if you haven't finished it, it has a life. Was there there stuff that was hard for you to uh, either cut or or wished you had been able to include that, That oh, but the history says this, yes, but the play demands that. Were there those kinds of tough decisions? Um, 
Yes, and I guess yes and no. There was one scene that I wrote that didn't didn't uh, make it into the script, mm -hmm. and it was good advice not to to put it into the script because I sort of wanted to examine Mary and Elizabeth's family so that we kind of um, I thought over I was overtelling why she is the way she is. Got it. And it's a beautiful scene, and it's so beautifully written, and it also kind of it, it tells a little bit about. Uh, Mariana Elizabeth Covington mm -hmm. and and her father's relationship. So it, it was to me it was really interesting, and I wanted to to, to really dissect it. But what it then became is it would be a a, 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 a play inside of a play inside of a play, yeah. and that would just be too much, yeah. right? And uh, and so it wasn't necessary. And and once I reread it and looked at it, I could see that the very the very things I wanted to share is written in her dialogue, the things she says, and it allows the audience, because I don't believe in dumbing down to an audience. If you set through Relentless, you know that there is no playing down to your intellect. I know you can keep up, and I yeah. know you're invested, yeah. and I hate when other productions do that, because yeah. I have absolute faith in, in, in people being able to follow story, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and so it was a necessary cut. And, and then the rest of the time, I did get a lot of notes, you know, from uh, some of the people over, you know, that when we did readings, and I would tell them, one, you don't get it. You you don't get. I don't expect you to get it because this story is coming out of something you're an observer of. Meaning, yeah. you're an observer of black life. So, yeah. as a as a white person, no matter what, you cannot, you can't explain why I do or why this person does what they do. You can observe it yeah. and have an opinion of it, and yeah. you can even write it in your own play. Yeah. But but we'll watch that play and say, that's not why that happens. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, that's not why, you know, it comes from right something now. else. But yeah. it's, and I say that about yeah. me because I'm black, but I'm sure the same thing happens if I wrote something about people who were Asian. Yeah. And, and I'm only an observer, so sure. even my research doesn't give me the what is... Um, just something that's born inside of the culture that mm -hmm. you don't have access to, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so some of the things they were suggesting, I was like, no, it doesn't need to be cut. You don't get it. I understand that. You're reading it. You, it's not coming off the page to you. Yeah. And then there were the moments where they thought things came out of nowhere. And I said, no, they don't come out of nowhere. And, and what's true in, in life is that you and I are having a conversation right now, and we can always jump backward on a story to tell mm -hmm. each other something. Mm -hmm. And it seems out of place, but it fits exactly what we're saying. Right. It's not. Right. And, and I trust the audience to be able to stop long enough to travel into that story and then come right back full circle. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's not a stumbling block. Well, especially in the theater, which which is yeah. all about the dialogue. It's less about the pictures. It's less about the silences, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well... And all of that stuff can go into the miniseries version. Glory from your mouth into the air, snatched <laughs> down, and it's true. I'm gonna. I've been receiving that and telling people ever since. Anybody that said, "What do you want to do with this?" and I go, "I want it done on the West End, Broadway, and a limited series, and it is going to all happen." That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. Tyler Abercrombie's Relentless has been nominated for several Joseph Jefferson Awards, which will be awarded next month, and you can see Tyler act on The Shy, on Showtime, or wherever it streams, wherever you are. Then send us your revealed family secrets via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. 
or through a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or on our own actual website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or visit my website, TheShakespeareance.com. You can also follow Tyla on Instagram at Tyler Abercrombie. Thanks, as always, to extremely white Victorian Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Christopher Brent. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Mark Larson, the author of Ensemble, an oral history of Chicago theater, and the man who introduced me to Tyla. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Tishner, 824, 2472nds of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. And the Coving- the Covingtons are the slaveholding family? Yes. Then yes. there's a part for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, see, see, this is a perfect example of what you told me beforehand. Yeah. We, we jumped back to that, yeah. but you're right. You, yeah. you, we got, we got a good, you would be a great father for Mary Elizabeth Covington. It's great. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.